You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Thank you very much for your amazing um, yeah, generosity as a church and your partnership with us. It's exciting. I'm really upset that AJ put that picture up of me. <laughs> but other than that, we really feel your love. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a story from uh, the Gospel of John this morning, and we're going to look at it for about half an hour or so and then have a chance to respond, and it really, yeah, it really fits in with what we were singing about earlier, about the goodness of God and receiving from Him. So in that, in that same vein, let's, um, let's look at this story. Basically, this is the first example we have of Jesus going across cultures and sharing the message of God's love and grace for people from another culture. So, in a, in a similar way, we want to emulate Jesus in moving, moving to Turkey and sharing in a similar way, but there's loads of lessons for us as we think about sharing God's message with those around us from different cultures and different backgrounds. Black and white. Loud and quiet. Day and night. Contrast helps us to bring things into really fresh focus, doesn't it? In the eyewitness account of John, he's constantly doing this. He's always contrasting things to help us see his point really clearly. And John places two stories alongside each other in the two chapters that we're going to look at today, chapter 3 and chapter 4, and he contrasts them. And they're supposed to be next door to each other. Who knows that God didn't inspire the chapter numbers in the Bible? Well, it kind of divides them up. And if we start reading in chapter 4, we miss this contrast that John is wanting us to see. The first story is of Nicodemus. And he comes out to find out more about Jesus at night. And in the dark, he can't get his head around the reality of this Jesus. And it's not the only time that John mentions the darkness. Judas, in the upper room, leaves and then betrays Jesus at night. Jesus is tried by the Jewish leaders at night. He's denied by Peter at night. It's representative of what's going on in the hearts of those in the story that we're looking at. And then in John 8, verse 12, he said, He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. And the the nighttime story of Nicodemus, the scholar in Jerusalem who wavered, is followed by this very different encounter that we're going to look at. From a story which is a daylight account of a woman who's asking questions about Jesus. And you might be asking similar questions about Jesus this morning. In the daytime, John tells us of stories of 5,000 being fed by Jesus, people who are hungry. He tells us of people who are healed in the daylight. And Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. It's under the bright noonday sun that we see this interaction of Jesus with a woman who's seeking life. So we need to have this in our minds as we're looking at the story. It's a daytime story. Quick bit of context, 
we're going we're gonna to be looking at uh, Jesus and a bunch of his disciples um, who are going from the south of Israel down where this, about where this white dot is, and they're going north up towards that kind of pinky area up there towards the Sea of Galilee. And basically, they've been baptizing a lot of people in the south. And a guy who's called John the Baptist, kind of in his name, he's, he should be baptizing more people than Jesus. The Jews are upset that Jesus is now baptizing more people than John. So Jesus wants to kind of stay under the radar a little bit, decides it's time for us to go back north. Now in this map, we've got Samaria in this middle section where, that, what, where the white dot is in the middle of the map. And it divides Judea in the south with Galilee in the north. And Samaria was the old northern kingdom of Israel. So when Israel was divided between Judah and the northern tribes, that would have been here where Samaria is. The Assyrians, who was a great empire, came in and took the people captive from northern Israel. And the Assyrians, many of them settled and intermarried with the people who were there. And so a lot of Jews, particularly from around the south, would say these are very compromised people. This is a bit of a dark place. Um, And just next to it, we see Mount Gerizim next to this white dot. And this is a new place of worship that the northern tribes of Israel have set up, different from Jerusalem. So they come here for Passover. They come here for worship. This is a hugely contentious issue. We're going to have a little look at that in the story as well. There's a town called Sychar, just a great name. Um, And this is close to the Sumerian capital. And The key place that we see this story working out is Jacob's well, which is just underneath that. It's just a a significant historical well that Jacob um, dug and then gave to Joseph. Okay, there's three characters in this story that I want us to keep in mind. There's Jesus. You'll be happy we're looking at a story about Jesus this morning. Um, And His disciples, it's probably his 12 and a few others who are traveling with him. And then there's a woman who's a divorcee from Samaria. So these are the people in the story. And I want us to look at this story and really get into the story and understand it. And I'm going to draw out points as we go. Uh, Before we start, obviously, it's a well-known story. Um, So let's dig deep. Uh, and really draw out some refreshing inspiration for us today. Amen? <clears throat> Sorry, Rich didn't like that. Uh, so let's dive into the story. Okay, Jesus and his disciples have set off from Jerusalem, and they're making their way on this long journey by foot back to their hometown in Galilee. Now, the usual trade route would be to go th- straight through Samaria, but devout Jews have a bit of a different approach. They go round the side towards the Jordan border and they head north, avoiding Samaria completely. As an Arsenal fan, I can understand this. When I'm in North London, often, if I can, I'll avoid the Tottenham area, just in case I meet Tottenham supportors. Um, I go around it. Okay, so these Jews from the south, they didn't want to meet any Samaritans. 
They considered them to be unclean, a mixed race of Gentiles and Jews who had abandoned God and therefore they're to be avoided at all costs. And rather than loving their neighbor and loving their enemy, the teaching that Jesus challenges them on, their approach was more to avoid them. I wonder what we're like with that. Do we just avoid people we don't like? Or do we actually engage with them? Well, which way does Jesus take? Jesus decides, basically there's no question here really, we're going straight through Samaria. And the verse actually says that he had to go through Samaria. Something in the heart of Jesus had to go through Samaria. He's so passionate to share his love with them as well. He always chose the way of love. And they were getting close to Samaria, and it's around lunchtime, and Jesus sends his disciples off into the market town to get them some food. Partly to get them out of the way, I think. And Jesus is pretty tired. His feet are dusty and aching after about a 40-mile walk, as you can imagine. That's quite a long way. It's like from here to Reading-ish, and maybe a bit further. So he is just resting up for a minute, and he sits on top of the well. And a woman makes her way towards the well. It's the middle of the day. It's the hottest part of the day, and there's not much movement on the road. Now, usually women would avoid the heat of the day and come and collect water in the morning and usually come with a group for protection, but then also to help carry the heavy load. Not this woman. Now, only a bad woman would be so blatant and come at this time. She's either a social outcast or... She knows that travelers can be found at this well and she wants to meet some new people. Well, she wanders up to the well where Jesus is sat. Now, Jesus, at this point, should back away from the well, as is the cultural norm, and give her space. She would then walk up to the well and get her water and she could depart. But only when Jesus had backed off would she come up to the well. But Jesus stayed, sat on the well. And the woman decides to draw close to the well anyway. She's bold. Then ignoring both cultural norms of not talking to a woman on your own and 500 years of great division between the Jews and Samaritans, Jesus spoke to her. And he says, give me a drink. But what's surprising is he doesn't start this interaction sharing with the woman about how she needs him and how she needs what he has to share with her. What does Jesus start with? He says, basically, I'm weak and I'm in need. Can you help me? It's so shocking, isn't it? These wells don't have buckets on them, as you can see. It's not like our lovely English picture of a well where we have, you know, the the bucket that goes down. People would carry buckets with them. So Jesus and his disciples would have had this kind of leather bucket that's foldable. They'd, They'd 
draw water and then they'd pack it away and they'd go on their way. But Jesus has sent his disciples off into town. So they've got the bucket. But Jesus has a plan, (laughs) obviously. He's come to the well without a bucket. And we see this again and again. It's Jesus' example that he gives us. How we need to show weakness. And actually our weakness is a key to how we share this message of grace with others. And it seems that the great key to building any relationship is vulnerability. So Jesus needs help from an immoral foreign woman. And in requesting her assistance, he models a way of sharing faith for all of us who follow him. D.T. Niles, who was a Sri Lankan theologian, said this, he was a true servant because he was at the mercy of those whom he came to serve. This weakness of Jesus, we his disciples must share. To serve from a position of power is not true service, but beneficence. I wonder how we do this. As we think about sharing our faith with others, we need to have this sense of need and weakness and able to be served by those that we go and serve. Or do we just try and make out like we've got it all sorted on the outside? Sometimes, don't we? So the woman replies to Jesus' ask for help. And in their language, everything is kind of gender sensitive. And so she says that a Shamari, this isn't my own knowledge, I've stolen this from a great guy called Kenneth Bailey, uh, who uh, knows a lot about these, you should read Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes if you want to have a little take on this. He draws out so much. He says, a, a Shamari is a Samaritan man. A Shamaria, not Spanish, but a Shamaria is a female Samaritan. Essentially, this woman says to Jesus, why are you, a Jewish male, asking, talking to me, a woman, a Samaritan woman? And rather provocatively, she's saying, now, is there anything else that you are asking for, Jesus? Jesus doesn't respond to that question But he's got her attention. And they're engaged now in a conversation. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Literally spring water. And the woman, noticing that Jesus has nothing with him, says, Jesus, you don't even have a bucket with you. How on earth are you going to be able to give me living water when you can't even draw water from this well? And then, with a slightly challenging note, she says, look, I know you're offering me a drink, but do you realize that this is our well, and Jacob is our father, and he gave it to us, not to you? Now, Jesus at this point, as a rabbi, usually would get very angry 
and explain to this woman why they have abandoned God and how actually they have given up their inheritance that Jacob has promised to all of his family descendants. And how actually now the, the true Jews are able to inherit this wealth. And he would probably go off on one as a rabbi. But Jesus decides to sidestep the political argument. And he starts to talk to her about what God is offering her and the life that God wants her to know. And it's something that Jacob also experienced. So in verse 13 and 15, Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will become in him a spring welling up to eternal life. Now, is Jesus just talking about some magical drink that's going to fulfill some of her personal needs? That it's going to make her feel good? It's going to bring community around her? It's going to kind of magically uh, take all of her challenges away? Well, Jesus changes his language here, and he wants to show it's not just about a drink for ourselves, but he's giving us a spring for all of those around us. And let's take Jacob as our example. So Jacob, who dug this well, not a very impressive man in many ways, if you read about him. He's deceitful, he lies a lot, he actually manages to steal the blessing off his brother. But he inherits the blessing to Abraham, which is, God says to Abraham, I'm going to use you to bless all of the peoples in the world. So Jacob suddenly inherits this, and Jacob has become a spring to others. He's, he's now a spring, and through his family, he, he becomes Israel, and his 12 sons become the tribes of Israel, and their purpose is to bless the world. So Jacob becomes a spring. Is this woman ready for what Jesus is offering her? She says, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst and may not come back here again. Okay, she wants a drink. Jesus says, this isn't just about a well for you, it's about a spring for others. He says, if I create in you a spring, this water should flow to all of those around you, starting with those who are closest to you. So Jesus says, go, Call your husband and bring him here. Jesus is testing her. The woman answers, I have no husband. She's hoping that's the end of the conversation. She's hoping they can move on quickly from that. But Jesus wants to bring things out into the light. Remember, this is a daytime story. And if she's going to be a spring for others, she needs to taste this healing for herself. Remember, though, this is a private conversation that Jesus is having with this woman. He's not publicly shaming her, although she's probably used to that. But he reveals this. You're right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. So you've been truthful in saying you have no husband. 
And it's as if the living water of Jesus is just flowing over this woman. And it's like the roots of a tree next to a great river is being exposed by the water that's rushing over her. The roots of this woman's life are being exposed by Jesus. Isn't that a bit cruel? Why is Jesus doing this? Why is he exposing her like this? I think he wants her to know that he knows everything about her. He knows her completely. He knows her background. He knows her past. He knows her dirty secrets. And in her utter lostness, the power of darkness is being broken. And she's experiencing healing now. She says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. (laughs) Obvious. I perceive you're a prophet. She's gone from thinking this is just a Jewish man to he's a prophet. He knows me. It's quite a journey she's on. But slightly embarrassed from being exposed, as many of us are when we're in a kind of personal conversation, she tries to change the subject. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, particularly when you're touching on something that's really personal. Maybe the change of subject is, so what do you think of Jeremy Corbyn? (laughs) Or... So, what's work like for you at the moment? Anyway, has anyone experienced stuff like that? You're in a really intense conversation and then, well, this woman thinks, I've got a great idea. A surefire way of changing the subject, a religious argument. Okay, so she throws a hand grenade in. She says, okay, Jesus, our fathers worshipped on this mountain here, but you Jews say we need to worship in Jerusalem. Discuss. What do you think? (laughs) Pressure off myself. Well, the funny thing is, she actually stumbles into a really profound question. And Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me. This is in verse 21 to 25, if you want to read it. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such, the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit and truth, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus answers very carefully, Actually, this woman's offhand question. And it's the most important teaching that Jesus gives us on worship in the gospel accounts. And I think in that, he's honoring this woman. He shares this with this woman, and he's honoring all women with her. Now, the question is, where is the presence of God to be found? Is it on this mountain, or is it in Jerusalem, Jesus? And Jesus says, neither. Both are already obsolete, says Jesus, in one of his great statements that get him in trouble quite often. And Jesus de-Zionizes the tradition of where to worship God. Should it be the mountain? Should it be Jerusalem? And he chooses this broken woman as the appropriate recipient of this amazing news. Now 
access to God is everywhere. It's not just in Jerusalem. It's not just on this mountain. Now, people can worship God wherever they are in the world. It's good news for us, right? And it's in no way Jesus being anti-Semitic. He affirms the special place that the Jews have in the story in there, doesn't he? He says salvation doesn't come from many parts of the world and from many people. Jesus is born from among the Jews and he is God's answer to all the promises that he's given his people. And through the climax events in his life, death and resurrection, we see all the fulfillment coming in Jesus. The woman's response to Jesus' great statement is wishful. Ah, for the day when the Messiah would come and answer all the complexities of life. Ah, I long for that day. It's time in this story for her to come out of darkness to see what's really happening. And with the same words that God spoke to Moses and the burning bush, when God said to Moses, I am, Jesus says to this woman, I that am before you, I am. He's saying, I am the I am. I am the eternal God. And William Temple says this, that is the assurance that we need. That he with whom we have dealings is none other than the eternal one. If my soul can hear that word, then it can rest. I, we, need the divine assurance of that divine love. So at first, this woman sees Jesus as a thirsty Jew. Then she sees him as a rabbi. Then she's seen him as a prophet. And now she adores him as a Messiah. What a breathtaking encounter in Samaria. A place where most Jews wouldn't even walk through. It's shocking, isn't it? Enter his disciples, the rabble of disciples, bringing back food. Jesus, we've got some food. Oh, what are you doing? Talking to a, a woman, a Sumerian woman, on your own. <laughs> uh, this is awkward. <clears throat> they don't say anything, but they look pretty frosty, and it's quite intense. Ever had a moment like that? Jesus, slightly embarrassed by his disciples, really wants to share with them, and he does. He teaches them about what has really been going on and God actually bringing about a great harvest through this. But the woman thinks, okay, it's time for me to leave. And she walks off and leaves her water jar at the well. So she'd actually come for water from the well but she's left that there. She's not the same woman who arrived at the well. She's completely come out of her darkness. She returns to her hometown and she starts to share this experience that she's had. And this is the exciting part of what Jesus has shared with her 
is her witness is so bold, and we've seen she's a bold woman already, right? And her witness is so bold, she becomes the first Christian preacher in history, and she's got an amazing message. Okay, she comes back to her her hometown with two key points. You know, not three-point sermon as we're used to, two key points. Firstly, some shocking news. This man told me everything that I'd ever done. Okay, and bearing in mind, those who know a bit about this woman would think, goodness me, this man knew everything about this woman. And then she kind of offers a hint as to who they might find if they think they're going to come and find out more about him. She says, could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? She bears witness to the water that quenches the thirst of the Spirit. And she starts to become a spring now for others. And it's what Jesus invites us all to become as we taste this living water. So what happens next? Well, many people from that town believe her testimony. That a man knew everything about her, they find so amazing. Some of them believe that this man is the Messiah. But some of them want a bit more time to investigate. So they come and spend a couple of days with Jesus, asking him questions, seeing what he's like. And that might be you today. You might be thinking, I just don't know enough about this Jesus. I need to find out more. I need to taste and see if he's good. And they spend two days, and after doing this, they report back to the woman. They say, it's no longer because of your words that we believe. For we've heard for ourselves and we know that he is indeed the saviour of the world. He's the saviour of the whole world. What an amazing journey of discovery that they've gone in in the same way as the woman. So from one well, there are many springs that have been started in Samaria. From one well, this woman becomes a spring to others, and now these others are becoming a spring of living water as well. So what about us? I wonder where we find ourselves in this story. I wonder how we're responding as we hear the story. Now there's loads of lessons we could draw out, but I guess I want us to focus in on this one key thing of Jesus inviting us to drink, but to become a spring to all of those around us, those who are closest to us and those who are our neighbors, just like this woman. Amen? And I want us just to have an opportunity now as we respond to, to think about how we should respond and how we need to become a spring for others. I'm going to have a chance to pray And maybe you're like this woman, you realize you're broken and you just had no idea that there was a God who knows who you are and who would want to pour out living water into your life. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have just such a desire to share what God has given you with others and he wants to make you a spring today. So I wonder if Maybe we could just 
close our eyes where we are, and I'm just going to give us a moment in the private with just us and Jesus to respond. To respond, and he wants to come and bring fresh living water to us and pour that out on us in a new way. If you feel like God is wanting to reveal this fresh living water to you, if you feel like this is the first time I've heard of this and I want to taste this living water, I'm going to ask you to just lift your hand up now. Just raise your hand. If you want to receive the living water of Jesus for the first time this morning, Thank you. Thank you. And if you have a real desire in your heart to be a spring to others, you realize how much God has poured into your life and you now want to be a spring for others, I just want to ask you to lift your hand. And God wants to come and pour out a fresh grace on you to be a spring in your community. We just ask you now, Holy Spirit, would you come? Fresh, living water of God, we invite you to come and drench us, to overflow upon us. For these dear people who have said, for the first time, I want to know this living water, we ask now, God, for your refreshing. We thank you, God, for your knowledge of who we are you know us completely and you're coming now to show your love i am that i am and i love you and lord we ask now for empowerment thank you for the great communities in this borough in this borough of ealing the amazing cultures that we have here the communities and we ask god for springs to be started in community after community. And those who've responded, I just want to ask for revelation about how they're to go to the well. How they're to go to the well and be a spring for others. And where you want to start springs all across this borough. We ask for power now to come. Ask for power and living water that would flow to many others. Jesus' name. Amen.